0: We are looking at the hallmarks of the Christ-centered community. Last week, Pastor Curtis introduced us to this idea that the Christian community, also known as the Church, was birthed out of a miraculous, history-changing event known as the Resurrection of Christ, or more commonly referred to as Easter Sunday. Shortly after the Resurrection, before ascending up into heaven, Um, Jesus gave the disciples a commission to go out and transform the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit descended upon them, this small group of ragtag, blue-collar workers were transformed into spirit-gifted, supernaturally empowered, signs and wonders, miracle workers. And from that small group of disciples, the church was birthed and began to grow. In fact, in one day, 3,000 people came to the Lord after Peter preached. Now, Curtis talked about the four pillars of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, or koinonia, the Greek word for it, to breaking of bread, including communion, which we will observe this morning, and prayer. Those four things were constantly being acted upon. It was part of their everyday lives, the the fabric of their lives and activities. Today we want to focus on one of those pillars, on prayer. But this won't be a how-to talk on four ways to a better prayer life. No, instead of talking about prayer, we will see what prayer did in the lives of the early church. And then we will spend some time to pray together. As uh, Samuel Chadwick quoted in his book, wonderful book, by the way, The Path to Prayer, there is no way to learn to pray but by pray. Well, we we all know that it's important to pray. But how many of you feel inadequate to pray? Let's be honest. Raise your hand if, like me, you would like to pray more in your life and that you would like to have a stronger prayer life. Let me also say that growing and living in faith isn't for the faint of heart. Prayer is hard work. And as we've seen, even for Jesus, living out God's will for his life was a painful, even agonizing one. The net result, however, was the beauty of the cross and the glory of the resurrection. So we're also invited into this spiritual battle. But there is a very real cost associated with it. Even in the story that we will read today, there is danger and intrigue. It's it's as interesting to me as a Jason Bourne movie with a lot more mystery. In fact, there's a little bit of everything in this story. Political manipulation, a daring night escape, a little bit of comedy, and a great sense that God has everything under his control. But uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. The background of the story is that it's happening about roughly a decade after the resurrection. About 10 to 12 years after the resurrection. The church is in full swing. And it is growing. Much like Jesus' ministry, the ministry of the church starts out strong, but along the way gets challenged. Already, one of the early deacons, Stephen, was stoned to death. The first Christian martyr. And now, in chapter 12, we will see that the gospel will always meet resistance. The gospel will always meet resistance. Acts chapter twelve verse one. Let me read it for you, and you could follow along. And um, I hope you like the little um, Lego illustrations that I found on the internet. Uh, it's actually you'll see more more pictures, but it's it's kind of fun. Well, let me read it for you, and you could read along. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now this King Herod would have been the grandson of the Herod mentioned in the Christmas story and the nephew of the Herod mentioned in the Easter story. I guess the Herod family had issues with Jesus and the disciples. Verse 1 tells us that this Herod had some believers arrested intending to persecute them, to make an example of them. He already had James, one of the sons of Zebedee, executed by sword. This is Bible shorthand for beheaded. Beheading by sword is a common form of execution in the Middle East. And when this met the approval of the Jews, you know, trying to gain political favor, is nothing new to the human race. But when he saw that this was, his approval ratings with the Jews was going up, he arrested Peter also and planned to bring him out to trial after the Passover. Perhaps he learned from his uncle's example that this happening around um, not trying to force his hand during a large... um, National holiday was a good idea. So he was waiting till after the Passover. Isn't it ironic that um, this is happening around the time of the Passover feast? The student is not above the master. If Jesus' death and resurrection happened during the Passover, why not face a similar fate as the master for Peter? What an honor! Herod intended to bring him to public trial after the festival with probably the same fate that James had in mind. Now notice how he was guarded. He was guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod wanted to make sure no missing body shenanigans would happen again. Sixteen of the roughest, toughest palace soldiers were to guard Peter. Now, Peter was a fisherman, and so he was probably a pretty strong guy, a pretty big guy. But, you know, like 16 soldiers to protect one guy, to me it seems like a little bit of overkill. You would think that he was some sort of a mass murderer or criminal mastermind to have such a heavy guard. Also understand that if if anything happened to the prisoner these guards would have to answer personally to the king himself. In the case of Jesus' body, and in this case, the sentence for a prisoner escaping or one gone missing for the guard is a death sentence. Do you think these guys would be motivated to uh, make sure nothing happened with their prisoner? The world's answer to any problem is always, always, always the most logical, the most expedient one. But this is rarely the case with God. In fact, God is usually the most illogical, the least expedient, the answer that makes people scratch their heads and say, what? Really? You see that in this case, prayer is the church's first defense. Prayer is the church's first defense. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood, stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Rather than sending in... uh, Navy SEALs team, armed with submachine guns and night vision goggles. The tactic that God employs with his warriors is prayer. Prayer. I know, it, it sounds a bit naive to think that prayer alone would get the job done. Well, prayer, and some angels, and of course God, But that is God's first and last answer. Prayer is the catalyst for putting God's will into action. It is our part of the equation. Could God accomplish this without prayer? Without us praying? Without the disciples praying? Yes, of course. Could the disciples have taken some action without prayer? Yes possibly, but with no guarantee of results. But I believe that God uses the prayers of the saints to draw us closer to him and to understand his heart and mind just a little bit more in the process. Don't you think that it strengthened the faith of Peter as he went through this ordeal? And just how close was peter to execution verse 5 says that the church was earnestly praying for him another word could have been fervent they were fervently praying for him. they were serious about their prayer they knew that peter was in grave danger did they have any idea of the king's plan maybe probably not verse 6 says the night before peter was to be brought to trial he was sleeping chained between two guards, with the rest of the guards stationed all around him. Hours before his potential execution, Peter was sleeping. Would you have been able to sleep the night before you knew it might be your last? It kind of reminds me of Jesus, sleeping in the back of the boat when the big storm came up. How can you sleep like times, at times like that? Well, if you know God, then you can sleep. But as he's sleeping, an angel comes and pokes him in the side. He wakes him up and tells him to get dressed. Now notice how specific the angel was. He says, get up, quick. Put on your clothes and sandals and don't forget your coat, your cloak. He makes sure all of the evidence of Peter's presence is removed from the scene. And then he tells Peter to follow him. The chains fell off without any of the guards noticing. And Peter follows him out of the prison, past the first and past the second guards. Peter thought he was having a vision. Peter thought he was dreaming. Maybe he was like kind of still half asleep. He didn't really quite understand what was happening to him but they passed all the guards and through the iron gate which opened by itself no no electronics you know and not not like at the supermarket these days where you step in it and it opens it opened by itself by the power of the spirit and they walked the length of a city block before the angel disappeared Do you ever think your prayers are going unanswered, unheard? Did you ever doubt that there is a God in heaven and that he is actively working in your life? Now, I must say that all answers to prayer aren't as dramatic as this one. But is there any doubt in this case that prayer and this prison break were connected? That prayer had a direct impact on the result of this event? I will confess to you that oftentimes prayer meeting is the last place that I want to be. There are so many prayer requests, and so often we don't know the answers to the prayers that we pray. And oftentimes I'm lax in my own personal prayer life as well as attending group prayer meetings. But I would say that if there were a desperate situation as Peter's was, was facing here, I think I would be one of the ones who dedicated and committed time to prayer, to pray for him. You see, as I said before, prayer is costly. It costs time and energy. And these days, time is sometimes more valuable than money. But is there any question that prayer is important? It is one of the pillars of the Christian church. And if this pillar is missing or weak, the whole church will suffer. There is nothing that Satan wants more than a prayerless Christian or prayerless church. Let me say that again. There is nothing that Satan wants more than a prayerless church or Christian. A church without prayer is a church without power and is no threat to the plans of Satan. But a prayerful church is a powerful force to be reckoned with. James 5, verses 13 through 16 tells us this. And let's all read this together. It's up on, printed up on the, uh, on the projection. Let's read it together. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Right after the message, we're going to be observing communion together, but the elders also want to have a time to pray over any need. So while communion is happening, the four elders, the two pastoral staff, uh, myself and Curtis, and two elders, um, Daryl Mui and Glenn Hom, who's teaching now, but he'll come in later, will be kind of in the four corners of the room. And uh, this will be an opportunity for you to be prayed over. Just as James says, the elders ought to lay hands and anoint and pray over those who need prayer. And while sometimes we can't be 100% certain when God answers a prayer or how he answers a prayer, there are times when we will know when God answers. We will know when God answers. Verse 11, Then Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I know without, without a doubt that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. And from everything the people, the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And there's Peter knocking on the door. <laughs> uh, verse 11 tells us Peter came to his senses. Maybe he sort of woke up out of his stupor. Maybe he finally realized that this really wasn't a vision or a dream. This was really happening. And he says to himself, without a doubt, without a doubt, the Lord sent his angel and rescued me me from Herod's evil plan and everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Peter had just been part of one of the most daring escapes in history. And right away, he did the only thing he could think of he went to one of the homes of the church where the church had been gathering at regularly, a place he knew they would be praying together. This, it says, was the home of a woman named Mary who was the mother of John Mark. Now this John Mark actually is the same author of the Gospel of Mark that we just studied. Here we see that even though Mark and Luke the author of the Gospel of Luke and this book of Acts, weren't part of the original 12 disciples. They were an integral part of the early church. So verse 12 tells us, many people were gathered there praying. I would guess that they were praying in secret because if Herod had been after the leaders of the new faith community, the followers would have been targets as well. The Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray in secret. In Matthew 6, 6, it says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now this is referring often to personal prayer, but it can refer to community prayers as well. There's a movie that was released last year called War Room. And the story, roughly, is about praying in a prayer closet. Literally, a woman sets aside a place in her home, a closet set specifically for her to pray in. It's a powerful movie with a powerful message. And I I would recommend anybody to see it. But how about a community? How about a community? Do we have a prayer closet to pray in? Do we have a a prayer closet? Well, yes. We, We have the prayer circle. We meet the first Wednesday of every month at different people's homes. We have the prayer fellowship, which meets every other month on the last Friday of the month. And we meet across the street over there at Irvine Presbyterian. It's in a small room up on the second floor in the education building. Now, these are not secret places. We have them in public, out in in the public. We place announcements in the program every week. The location for the prayer circle is listed in the program. um, And it's on our church calendar, found on our website, www.harvestirvine.net. And so we invite everyone and anyone to join us in the spiritual battle. Our church leaders need prayer. Our nation needs prayer. Our schools need prayer. Our homes need prayer. Is there any aspect of your life that doesn't need prayer? What if, like the meeting at the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, God would find it to be a place where many people had gathered and were praying? And the Let me just share with you something personal that you could be praying for me about. Like I said, our our church leaders need prayer. Um, Two months ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. It's in very early stage, um, and it's very treatable. Um, I actually saw a second radiation oncologist this last week, and most likely I'll begin some kind of radiation therapy therapy. Um, beginning in May and maybe going through the month of June. Um, so, you could pray for me. Pray that God would, God's will would be done. Pray for release from prison, if you will. Well, as earnest, earnestly and fervently as the believers were all praying together, sometimes, you know, we may not completely believe what is happening, like Peter. Peter. Like Peter, who thought he was dreaming or having a vision, answered prayer can sometimes be hard to believe. Verse 13 says, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And everybody else said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. This is probably my favorite part of this story. It's almost comical if you think about it. Peter gets to the house and knocks on the door. And a servant, servant woman or girl named Rhoda comes to answer the door. And when she hears Peter's voice, she gets excited. And she runs away screaming, Peter's at the door, Peter's at the door, leaving Peter behind in the cold morning air. The rest of the gang are behind her saying, you're out of your mind. You're talking gibberish. It can't be Peter, he's in prison. He's guarded by 16 of the roughest, toughest palace guards there are. Chained to two of them and behind and behind. Two, maybe locked, behind locked, two or three locked doors. You're talking gibberish. Can't be Peter. It must be someone who looks like Peter. Maybe it's his doppelganger. Maybe it's his angel. How often it is we find it hard to believe God's miracles. Seeing is believing, we've noted in the past couple of weeks. But in God's case, believing is seeing. Believing is sea. Instead of expressing doubt, express faith. Maybe it, it seems too good to be true, but God is in the business of bringing glory to himself. In this case, Peter's time was not up yet. God still had some things for Peter to accomplish. Now let's talk about Rhoda. Isn't it interesting, God would make it a point to mention Rhoda by name? in this story. He didn't have to. It, was like, it wasn't like she was a, a leader of the church. She was probably, you know, a servant girl or woman in the house, which meant that the owners of the house, Mark's parents, were probably fairly well off. But none of the other prayer meeting attenders are named by name. Only Rhoda was she must have made quite an impression on the church leaders to remember her by name. And maybe she was a little bit embarrassed by the whole situation since she left Peter standing outside at the door. And, yes, Peter, we've left him on pause, haven't we? He's waiting patiently at the door. He can't be knocking too hard. He can't be, like, telling them to open the door too loudly. Right? Because he doesn't want to wake up the neighbors. He doesn't want to draw attention to himself. After all, he just escaped the clutches of a king who wanted him dead. So he's probably a little anxious to get inside. But, you know, when we do know God's answer to prayer, when we see it happen, we will be blessed beyond belief. We will be blessed beyond belief. So Peter kept, kept on knocking And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motions with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Now this James that Peter is referring to is probably Jesus' half-brother. A different James than the one that was a son of Zebedee that was executed earlier on in the passage. So James, the half-brother of, of Jesus by this time, was probably a leader in the church as well. Now Peter keeps knocking and knocking until they finally opened the door. What probably only took a few moments must have felt like an hour. You know, it's like in those movies or shows when you, 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 know, you see someone is trying to download data off of someone else's computer and you see that bar moving and moving and moving and somebody's coming and finally the bar finishes and you get the idea. Well, they finally open the door and to their surprise, Rhoda was correct. It is Peter, Peter and they are astonished. Peter, you're here. How did you do it? Where are the guards? Wasn't today that, the day that Herod was going to try to cut your head off? A- and a million other questions. And Peter quiets them down and motions with his hands for them to be quiet. And as he enters the home with this excited group of uh, people, Peter recounts to them everything that had happened to him that night. And what a blessing that must have been. Imagine yourself as one of those people praying and then standing right before your eyes stands the very person that you were praying for. I've, I've heard many different stories about answers to prayer. And there are a couple that really stand out in my mind. One is a story of a doctor who actually lived locally, a, a, a physician. He, he lived in Palos Verdes. And this was maybe 25, 27 years ago. When he was younger, he believed in God, but he walked away from his faith. He became a very successful doctor. In fact, he had a, not only an M.D., but a, a Ph.D. as well but he didn't believe in God, he had walked away from God. He had lots of cars, big house, a wife and a family that loved him, but he was very self-centered and very selfish. And then one day he started to have a pain in his stomach and he discovered that he had advanced liver cancer. He went to all of his doctor friends, the best in the business, and basically they told him he didn't have very long to live. And he called his family together. He had three small children at the time. He called them together to, to say goodbye to them. And finally, he went to one surgeon to have the cancer removed. But after treatment, in which they removed a good portion of that liver, he miraculously survived. Before his operation, actually, his wife asked... A pastor to go and pray for him, and actually it was Pastor Waylon Wong, who's part of our congregation. And uh, Waylon went to pray for um, Edwin, and he was healed, and he's alive today. He shouldn't be alive. Now he hasn't had the easiest life, but after his after his healing. He became a Christian. He, he went back to the Lord. And um, he went on to serve God. And he is still alive today. He quit his profession as a doctor. And he became a servant of God. Now, there's another story of a young man named Chris Yuan. His, mo- his mother, Angela, prayed for Christopher because while Chris was attending dental school, he was living life as a gay man, and he was experimenting with drugs. He was later actually arrested for drug dealing, and tested positive for AIDS. But his mother never stopped praying for Christopher, and eventually, he was released from prison, and dedicated his life to Christ. And he wrote this he and his mother wrote this book called, Out of a Far Country, which documents his story a great story of a mother's persistent prayer and God's faithful redemption. And in fact, after the movie, after the book came out, and after the movie War Room came out, uh, author Chris Fabry wrote a book version of the movie War Room. And in it, he dedicates the book to Angela Yuan, Christopher's mother, a prayer warrior, who showed him her version of the War Room she took a, a, a shower in, her second, in the second story of her house and there she dedicated it to prayer. And there she prayed for her son Christopher. And you can see there she put post-it notes all, all, all along the walls and scripture taped to the walls. What a blessing these disciples of Jesus must have experienced as they saw the answer to their prayers standing right in front of them. This obviously wasn't the end of the story for them because we know that Peter was later actually martyred for his faith. In fact, church tradition holds that Peter was crucified upside down because he chose that manner of execution because he didn't feel worthy to be executed in exactly the same manner as his Lord. But the church continued and it continues to be a community of prayer. They and we are prayer warriors who faithfully lift up the burdens of a dying world to God as warriors on the battleground of faith. And what happened to those soldiers um, when Herod found out that Peter had escaped? What happened to those soldiers? Here's what verses 18 and 19 tell us. And I'm I'm not going to throw it up on the screen. I'll just read it to you. It says, now when when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. So he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. So the prison guards were no match for the prayer warriors. They were soundly defeated, and Herod was furious. And what about Herod? His fate was even worse. And if you want to find out what happened to Herod, um, I want you to read the rest of chapter 12, from verses 20 to 25. The power of prayer in an individual or a community's life is not just having our prayers answered. It's not just about bowing our knees and folding our hands and repeating the same prayers over and over. It is in the personal exchange between God and that person or community. What God wants is not just blind obedience, but what he wants is an interaction between his followers and himself. This is true communion. This is true fellowship. As we're preparing ourselves to observe communion, I want us to watch a clip, a film clip, from the movie War Room.
1: done it again Lord you've done it again you are good and you are mighty and you are merciful and you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it praise you Jesus you are Lord give me another one Lord Guide me to who you want me to help. Raise up more that will call upon your name. Raise up those that love you and seek you and trust you. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. Lord, we need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel. We need an army of believers, Lord, that hate to be lukewarm and will stand on your word above all else. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. I pray for unity among those that love you. I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your truth, Lord. I pray for your hand of protection and guidance raise up a generation lord that will take light into this world that will not compromise when under pressure that will not cower lord when others fall away raise them up lord that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of jesus christ raise up warriors lord who will fight on their knees who will worship you with their whole hearts, Lord. Lord, call us to battle, that we may proclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray these things with all my heart. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up.
0: Amen. Will you join us and be prayer warriors? Gabe, let's uh, go ahead and leave the the lights down. We're going to leave them down through communion and through uh, the response song. Like I said, um, we want to have a time of both communion and prayer. And I can't think of a better time to do that. To pray together, to share communion together. Tape off my shoe. (coughs) Scripture tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body broken for you. As often as you take it, you do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. And he took the cup, and he gave it to his disciples, and he told them to drink from it. And he said, this is my blood, the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Take it and drink it. And as often as you do so, you do so in remembrance of me. This morning, we want to take a little bit of time and do communion a little bit differently. And so, like I said, during the communion time, the four elders will be stationed around the four different corners of, of the room. And if you would like us to pray with you and for you, you can take that time to come up to us and, and we'll pray with you. For everyone else, let's have you come down the center aisle to take the communion elements and then you can return to your seats. And just, just spend a, a, a good bit of time. You can either come to the station of the cross, and be in prayer. You can go back to your seat and pray. You can pray together with somebody else that's around you, if you like to. We, we want to encourage everybody to participate in prayer as much as possible. And, um, and then I'll, I'll come back together and we will, we will take the communion together. And then we'll continue having the elders on the, the sides as Jack and Sharon and the rest of the team Come up and lead us in the response song. Let me pray as we as we open up this time. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. You are so good. Thank you for the gift of communion, of being able to commune with you. Lord, help us to be a people of prayer. Make us make us a prayer, Lord. And thank you for the sacrifice of of Jesus that allows us to have this time of communion, of personal relationship with you. May we spend time together as your community. In Jesus' name.